Hey everybody, this is So Heidi, and you're listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. We all know that the fashion industry is brutally competitive and it takes loads of hard work to get ahead. The problem is that everyone's secretive and tight lipped about their ways. After working as a designer and educator for over a decade, I wanted to help break down those barriers and bring you valuable knowledge from industry experts. And this show is exactly where you'll find that. Whether you're trying to break into the fashion world, make yourself more marketable, launch your own label, or become a successful freelancer, we'll help you get ahead in the cutthroat fashion industry. This is episode 29 of the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast, and today I'm chatting with Maylee Bingham, who works for one of the largest fashion companies in the industry, PVH. Maylee climbed her way up the corporate ladder, and she unconsciously did some strategic things that helped her gain traction and keep moving forward. When she realized what she was doing and started implementing those things on purpose, she noticed her career growth results were real. She now also runs an online business, Pit Glass, where she teaches others to do the same and get ahead in their careers. Networking, I know many of us hate that dirty word, but it works. Maylee walks us through the best way to network online, at events, and even with your coworkers. But my favorite tip that Maylee shares is what you can do to get noticed and get ahead in your career and why you can't leave this up to your boss. You can't expect other people even your boss, to have your career in mind. You know what I'm saying? Like their job is to get the job done and to do it, you know, in an efficient way. Um, And whether or not you're happy is, you know, yes, they care, but not like they're not going to be sitting there telling you, okay, you need to be doing this, this, and this to get ahead. You know, that's really up to you. Before we jump into the interview, I have a quick favor to ask, and I want to share one of the recent reviews that just came in. My quick favor is that you guys share the podcast with three people you think who would be interested in listening. Now, let me read this review, and I want you to really think about who would be a great person to hear this podcast. This review came in just a few days ago from Loom Chick. And she titles it, The Missing Pieces of the Industry Puzzle. Loom Chick says, Heidi is a wonderful interviewer and has a nice range of guests. Even though I'm a professional on the periphery of the fashion design industry, there's a lot of valuable information shared here that extends well beyond fashion design. Instructors and professors should make listening to this podcast mandatory. It provides important information that most programs don't address or have time to cover. Yes, there's a great deal that is not rainbows and roses. However, these lessons from industry insiders helps provide a more thorough understanding of the challenges and obstacles one faces immediately. This could make the difference between establishing yourself with a well-thought-out plan or floundering in frustration for years. This easily translates into monetary savings and greater opportunity in many ways. Thank you, Heidi. Keep up the good work. Thank you, Loom Chick. I love this review so much. It makes me really, really happy and makes all the hard work we put into the show that much more worth it. So think about three people in the industry who you think would gain valuable knowledge from listening to the show. Maybe it's a student, a coworker, a boss, an instructor, a professor, someone who loves fashion and wants to work in it but isn't sure if it's right for them. And do me a favor and share the podcast with three people. I'm going to stop right now so you can take 30 seconds to do that. Send them an email, a text, whatever's easier. Okay, do it now. All right, done. Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing. Now, to access the show notes for today's episode, visit sfdnetwork.com slash 29. On to the interview with Maylee. Well, welcome, Maylee, to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. Um, I would love to have you start out by introducing yourself and letting everybody know who you are and what you do in the fashion industry. Well, thank you for having me. Um, my name is Maylee Bingham, and I work in the menswear industry here in New York City. And I've been here for 15 years, which is awesome. I really love it. And I really um, specialize in menswear, especially cut and sew knits and sweaters, to be specific. And I really 
have the great opportunity of working with um, one of the industry's largest companies. So I really get the opportunity to not only do design and merchandising, but do strategy and work on um, some really cool projects as well. That's awesome. And I'm I'm just going to throw it out there. You also run this really amazing online community with some courses and you help designers network and get ahead in the in their career, correct? Yes, I started pitglass.com about a year and a half ago and that really came about as because I started doing mentoring about 4 years ago and I really loved being engaged with all of the young people that were coming into the industry and sharing my ideas and like my experiences with them. But I was like a little bit frustrated because I would only get like one mentee a year. And so I just decided, you know what, let me just put some stuff together and, you know, throw it out there and see what happens. And it just sort of became like this great resource and community for especially people that are starting out in the industry that are kind of feeling their way through and trying to figure out, you know, what they need to do to move ahead in their careers. So it's been really fun. That's super cool. Okay. So I want to talk about both things because you've been in the industry for so long and you've worked your way up. um, And I know that you've used a lot of networking tactics to sort of climb, um, to put it in a a very uh, blunt way, to climb the corporate ladder, which is great. And now you're sort of offering all these um, tips and advice and resources to people in the industry who, like you said, are trying to break in or work their way up. And so I I want to talk about both. Um, Would you you prefer to talk about your career first or some yeah. of the stuff that you're supporting people with? Um, let's talk about how I got started. Okay. So why don't we go with that? How did you get started? Well, I went to school for fashion in Miami. It was a very small um, fashion college. At the time, it was called American Intercontinental University, but they changed their name now. Now they're part of the Art Institute. Um, so I think it's called – I could get this wrong, but I think it's Miami – University of Art and Design. Um, Anyway, and so I went to school there for two years. Um, It was a really great experience. They, it was a wonderful city to start with. And when I graduated with my associate's degree, my father like insisted that I have a bachelor's degree. He thought that being a fashion designer was not something that you know, was a stable type of job. Mm -hmm. I might as well have told him I wanted to be like, you know, a movie star or something. Ah. (laughs) And so I was looking around. And so I found another college that allowed me to double major in fashion marketing and design. So that's what I did. Um, So I got my bachelor's in Atlanta, Georgia, um, doing marketing, which I loved. But when I graduated, I was in this city that really didn't have a lot of fashion and I didn't know what I wanted to do or how I was going to like break into it or whatever. So I was able to get my first job at a very, very, very small menswear company and it was called the Zero Shirt Company and it had been around actually since the 1800s doing like dress shirts and stuff, but they had now ventured into sportswear But I wasn't hired as a designer. I was hired as a graphic designer. And so um, actually, I should back up for two seconds. Um, When I was about to graduate, this was around the time that catting was becoming more mainstream. And it wasn't something that I was taught in school. Mm -hmm. So I had actually gone out outside of school and took a crash course of, I think they called it like graphic design crash course or something. It wasn't even specific to fashion. It was just like this crash course where you learned um, a little bit of Photoshop, a little bit of Illustrator, a little bit of, I think it was um, like a publishing platform and something else. And so I had like kind of the basics and then I had to figure out on my own how to do this for the fashion part of it. And so anyway, I was hired as a graphic designer at this small company and 
it was great because it was so small. There was like four of us in the office. And so I did everything from like answering the phones to um, approving lab dips to getting to go to the trade shows and like put up the um, backgrounds for the trade show booth. And, you know, I actually showed it our collection to the buyer. So I was really doing like everything, um, which was amazing. I learned so much, but technically I was like the person that designed all the hang tags and the trims. And I also designed like this, um, I guess like a catalog or a lookbook each season. So that's really what I was technically hired to do. And then I just sort of worked with the designer that was there and, um, so I kind of was involved a little bit in the fittings and I'd started like updating her sketches and stuff like that. And so that was really like my first job. And so I was there for about a year and a half. And then I got an opportunity to apply for a design assistant job at Perry Ellis down in Miami again. So I did that and um, I was there for two years and I was super lucky because like I said, I had just kind of taught myself some of those Photoshop and Illustrator tools, but I wasn't like really great at them. And even with the first company that I worked for, we really weren't catting anything. We weren't really doing anything that was... um, super technical. So when I went to apply for this job and I went for the interview, I literally had bought like Photoshop for dummies and tried to figure out on my own how to create a repeat. Mm. And, um, but they did hire me and I think they hired me knowing that I wasn't, um, didn't have all those skills, but they were right in the process of switching over, from using Photoshop as a catting tool to a new system called um, Euphoria, which was owned by Lectra. And so everyone in the company was going to be trained on it anyway. So it wasn't like I was, you know, behind the game. Wait, I have to pause you really fast because going back to after you graduated and then you said you took like a crash course that wasn't even for the fashion industry, but you took the crash course. Like at what point did you realize that you needed those skills? Like that, and that was, what'd you say about 15 years ago? So that was pretty perceptive of you to say, I need these skills. I'm going to take the initiative to get them. Um, what happened that made you realize that you needed to do that? Well, I can't remember exactly how I became aware that people were starting to CAD in the industry. Mm -hmm. It may have been from reading WWD, possibly. I'm not really sure. But um, the school that I had gone to did offer um, a type of CADing system, but the CAD was really intended for like interior designers. Mm -hmm. And um, so I just kind of had this instinct like that. I knew it was going to become important, but I didn't really know how or why or exactly what I needed to learn exactly. Um, I didn't know anybody in the industry at the time, so I didn't know how people catted and I didn't know how they created what they did. Like I didn't know how they created a repeat. I didn't know how they created the artwork. Sure. So I just had like a general idea that this was what was happening in the industry and that I would need that skill to get a job. Mm, but I was so how to do it. <laughs> no, it was very smart of you though, because I, I you know, I, I talked to a lot of people in my audience who I think were at a similar starting point as you fifteen years ago and maybe didn't um take the path to um initiate that on their own for whatever long list of reasons. Um so it was very smart and perceptive of you to take that initiative and see that that was even a need. Um okay, so you go so then you went to Perry Ellis and, and learned their system. Yep. So when I was at Perry Ellis, I was just adamant that I was going to learn the ins and outs of this program. So I sort of became their little super user for Kalito, and which was fantastic. And I also, it was my first position in the design realm 
So I was an assistant designer there. So I worked directly with um, the designer on woven shirts. And so it was like my first experience, like figuring out like this is how you, you know, create repeats and this is how you send out the artwork to be developed and this is how you you know plug in the colors for the different color positions and this is how you create a color palette and so it was really an amazing learning tool for me um learning platform and so yeah it was really great i was there for two years so and then and so now you're in new york city and and did that job take you to New York City or, or when did you transition? So it's kind of funny. I never wanted to move to New York City. I <laughs> am a Southern Belle. I get cold very easily. And I actually never intended to move to New York at all. However, when I had been at that first job in Atlanta at the menswear company, when I left, I hired a young woman to replace me. And I actually trained her for about two weeks before I left. And she and I just kind of kept in touch. And um, so when I went down to Perry Ellis, at some point, she ended up leaving as well. And she moved to New York, and she was working for Liz Claiborne. Mm. And, you know, I didn't even know her that well. I mean, it wasn't like a friend that I had hired to replace me. This was someone that I had just met and like knew her for like two weeks. But she and I had kept in touch, and out of nowhere, about two years after I had been at Perry Ellis, I had gotten an email from her, and she was like, she just had sent this mass email, like, hey, everyone, um, my roommate's moving out in June, like, if anyone's interested, let me know. And I kind of, like, told myself, you know what, if I don't do this now, I'm never going to do it. Mm -hmm. I was, like, 27, I think, and so I wrote her back, and I was like, listen, I will come to New York City and I will interview for jobs. And if I get a job, I will be a roommate. <laughs> and that's exactly how it happened. So about, um, so I sent out just, uh, first of all, I should say, before I did this, I basically created my portfolio. I made little mini um, eight and a half by 11 versions of it. And I created these little packets. And so I sent this was way back before there was like where you had to apply to jobs online. And so I just did the old snail mail. I like mailed these packages to all of these different companies that I was interested in and a few recruiters. And I was like, I'm going to be in New York City from this state to this state. And I won an interview. And <laughs> <laughs> um, shockingly, I was when I got there, I had like 10 set up. Wow. Yeah. I don't think this could happen today. Let me just pre-warn all of your listeners. I honestly don't think that could happen now because everyone sort of like forces you to now apply online. Yeah. But that's how I did it. And I think the fact that I sent the actual little mini portfolios where they had something in hand and they could kind of see my, my work a little bit, I think that really helped. So, yep, I came, I slept on my friend's couch for a week, and I went to all these interviews, and it was so hot. And <laughs> I just remember, it was like the middle of July, and it was so hot in New York City, and my friend did not have an air conditioning unit in the living room. And I was just, like, sweating to death. It was awful. And so, like, before I'd go to... Um, any interview, I would run into her room and I'd turn on the air conditioner and I would just like <laughs> lay there for a few minutes. And then I'd go to my interviews and by the end of the week, I had two offers. Wow. And it was like one of those fates, I think, because I had one offer to actually be a designer for a small skatewear company or skateboarding company. And if anyone knows me, that is completely not my my thing. So <laughs> you said Southern Belle. I, my guess was that yeah. it wasn't. <laughs> no, in fact, I have no idea why they like offered me the job. But anyway, um, and then the second offer was with PVH, which has been my employer ever since. So wow. um, yeah, so I came on as a. They actually hired me as a CAD operator, and then um, through the 
15 years that I've been there now, um, I have kind of gone from CAD operator to, um, uh, then I think they bounced me to like, what was it? Associate designer and then designer one, two, three, like they have these weird titles there. So, you know, and that's, that's been my story. Wow. Okay. So I love the moment of like, okay, I'm 27. If I'm going to go to New York, like this is my chance. I'm just going to do it and pull the trigger and go. And then you just kind of throw yourself out there. You get these interviews. You're like sitting in this New York apartment, sweating. I can just picture the whole thing. I love it. Um, and then you have a choice. Like you get these two opportunities and you have a choice. So that's so cool. Um, I want you to talk a little bit about um, you You within your um, your online business, Pit Glass. Uh, you talk a lot about networking. And so I'd love for you to talk about, you know, how did you utilize some of these networking skills to advance your career um, from where you started down in Atlanta and Miami up to New York and then work your way up the ranks of PVH? Okay. Well, I honestly think that when I was first starting out in my career, I honestly didn't know how to network. Sure. I didn't know what I was doing. And um, it wasn't until I probably came to New York and, you know, I've always been kind of a workaholic. I will sit there, you know, um, I would work till all hours to, like, you know, try to impress my boss and whatever. And I started noticing within the first couple of years that a lot of my other friends that would have either left PVH or had gone to other companies that they were kind of job hopping and that's how they were moving up in their career. And I guess you could say I job hopped a little bit at the beginning, but I wasn't, I didn't do that once I came to New York. And, um, I was noticing that people were kind of moving ahead, not necessarily from just doing their job or doing a good job, but they were um, getting noticed for one reason or another. And um, I wish I could give you a really good example, um, but I just knew that something, like it was going to take something a little bit more. So for me, what I used, what I started doing internally um, at my corporate job is I started trying to talk to people that were outside of my direct department. So PVH is really big. There's like 18 floors to our building. There's no way you can know everybody and everyone works on, you know, different brands and different things. However, being in the design department, you do interact with, you have the tech department, which is our technical design department. You interact with the marketing department because you have to show things, you have to show the line to licensees and different things. And so what I started doing is just kind of asking people, you know, having lunch with some of these people that I would, you know, meet um, throughout my day and be like, Hey, let's have lunch. I'd really like to learn more about what you do and, you know, how we can work together. And so just listening more than anything to what these people did on a daily basis, how, you know, sometimes we, you would get frustrated because you're like, Oh my gosh, why is it taking them so long to get something done? That's so simple. And then it's like, once you hear their side of the story of like what they have to go through and who they have to work with, it really makes a huge difference. So just honestly, like, you know, having lunch with a lot of people, a lot of my coworkers, and um, just listening to what they do made me a better designer and made me a better employee because I understood what they needed to get from me so that they could do their job better. Mm. So an example of this would have been um, a couple of years ago, we were doing what they called a bestseller meeting. And what that is, is it's really put on by the sales department. They would, the designers would come in and they would show us what was on the floor now and what was working and what was not working 
so that we would have a better understanding of, you know, from a design sense of, you know, what worked and what didn't work, what our customers liked and didn't like, so that we didn't make the same mistakes, which is great. However, they were giving us these spreadsheets of that were just a bunch of numbers. And of course, designers are like, what the heck is this? Like, what am I looking at? You know? (laughs) And so we kind of came up with this idea of, okay, like we're visual people. We need to understand like why or where you're putting this on the floor. So we already had to create a, like a line list that had images of all of our CADs and bodies and all this other stuff. So I was like, I can just export all these things as a JPEG and then you can move these around and like basically lay out a floor plan for us so that we can visually see where these things are going and, you know, help us that way. So it really was amazing because it only took us like two seconds to export the work that we already did anyway. And then it really helped the sales team because they could then like print out all of these individual CADs. They could take these big foam core boards and um, pin things up and it helped them actually assort better for when they were preparing for when the buyers were coming in. And so it kind of like helps both sides of the table. And so, you know, that's just a little example. Yeah, but it's I love it because it's so it's pretty simple and it it basically it, it was you looking at something that was going on within the workplace and you saw a way to make it better and so you spoke up and took the initiative to say, "Hey, we could do it this way. I could create this tool. I could print out these CADs, export these CADs, and it'll just be a lot more user-friendly for everybody. It'll be a lot more effective. Um, And so what I hear from that is, well, first of all, taking the initiative to talk to the other people who you don't maybe work with on a daily basis. You don't talk to day in, day out, but your work still crosses over. So go out to lunch with them, have a drink with them, understand who they are, what their role is, how your your work can affect or can alleviate um, their role. And then when you see those opportunities, speak up and say something and maybe your idea will go over well and maybe it won't or for whatever reason it won't work, but take the initiative to speak up and say, Hey, I could do this. This could make this better, easier, faster, whatever. And, and see how that goes. Would that be a correct kind of interpretation of everything you just said? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we can always come up with new ideas and think of better ways of doing something. I think, um, a huge mistake that a lot of people make when they're especially first starting out in their career is that, you know, you're kind of new to the industry and what to expect and what to do. And so when someone teaches you how to do something, um, steps A, B, C, then that's the only way that you know how to do it. So Mm -hmm. you do A, B, C. And a lot of times you don't think like, is this really the best way to be doing this? Or is this the fastest way to be doing this? And so, you know, I think that's also what's kind of good about when people go to different companies is like, you learn different ways of doing the same job. Mm -hmm. And then it's like up to you to determine which one's the best way to do it. Yeah. And practices. Yeah. And like you said, there's always a ton of different ways to do things. Um, and it, different search, different situations require different sort of methods and, and systems, but, um, it's good to just sort of look at that and ask yourself, you know, could we be doing this better, um, more effective? So speaking of kind of breaking into the industry, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the support that you offer and some advice that you could offer for people out there who are breaking into the industry. I mean, that I know you've done some mentoring, as you mentioned earlier. And so what is some advice you give to designers trying to break in? So do you mean people that are still students at the time? Or You know, I guess kind of there it could go a lot of different directions. It could be maybe they graduated and they're trying to get their first gig or they... <laughs> Um, don't have industry experience, maybe they're working in another industry and they want to get started. I get those would be two very different paths. So, okay. uh, you know, pick the one that you, you think you have the most advice to offer or, or if I didn't even pick the two right ones, you know, what would be, you know, which, which person do you talk to more? 
Well, I think um, one difference that I've noticed from when I went to school and what I'm seeing now is that when I went to school, the idea of an internship was like, that's great if you have, if you can do it, but it wasn't like a requirement. Now I really, maybe it's because I'm in New York city. I'm not sure, but it is practically a requirement now for students to do internships. So one advice that I give Um, I actually work, one of the companies that I mentor with is um, YMA, which is the Young Men's Wear Association. And they have an amazing program. It's for, it's actually a competition that they put on every year. And the winners of the scholarship um, receive mentorship. So that's how I'm connected with them. And um, they have all of the scholars come to New York City for a summer and they try to set them up with internships. And one thing that I just preach to all of them is like, this is your big opportunity. You are meeting people in that industry, whether this is your dream job or not, you are going to be interfacing on a daily basis with other assistant designers, associate designers, designers, tech designers, sales team, um, sometimes the vendors, sometimes the um, licensees, you're meeting all of these people. Like you need to just grasp this opportunity and try your best to stay connected with them. And especially even people that you went to school with. I mean, how many times can we say like that we don't still talk to the people we went to college with, right? Mm -hmm. That's pretty common. Mm -hmm. But if you Mm -hmm. think about it, you probably graduated with, I don't know, 100 or 200 people just from your college alone that went to school for fashion. They're all going to end up somewhere. So wouldn't it be beneficial to you to get the inside scoop on whatever company they ended up at? Or they're going to then know if there's any openings that are coming available. So that is really an amazing resource for you. So I would say if you're still in school, um, or even if you're just graduating, do an internship, get, and don't just do one. If you have the opportunity, like you can, I know a couple people that are actually just gangbusters and like doing like two or three. Um, but yeah, I think that is like the best way to meet people. Um, if you are, as you were mentioning, if you're someone that is maybe in a different industry and you're trying to break into the fashion industry, then it's really going to be, you have to somehow meet these people. And so the best way is to join different types of groups. And the good news is now with like Facebook and things like that, like there's a lot of online groups where you can ask questions and hopefully turn some of those conversations into offline conversations. But I've, I personally belong to about three or four Facebook groups. I belong to, um, about three meetup groups. I belong to probably eight LinkedIn groups. And I also then purposely, um, belong to a lot of, um, trade organizations, which is like the YMA, Fashion Group International, um, Junior League. Um, what else am I belong to? I don't even remember. Um, so a lot of these groups where you can actually hopefully have a face-to-face um, meetup where you can actually meet these people. And I personally look for events that are going on um, through meetup or um, – what is Eventbrite and some of those, a lot of times they'll have live events where, you know, they're giving some sort of like a speaker series or a presentation of some sort. And I'll go to those and it's kind of an easy icebreaker because you can, then you have something to talk about afterwards with all the other people that are there. And so you're able to meet, you know, those people. And um, so, yeah, that's really my best tips for for networking especially if you're starting out 
Yeah, and I like um I mean I like the event thing. I know it can be hard for some people who maybe don't live somewhere like New York City or LA or some type of fashion hub where there's a lot of stuff going on. But mm-hmm. um like you said there's a ton of online opportunities and I'll just throw out um if you are at a live event, um a trick that someone told me which helped me a lot many many years ago. I think I've mentioned it on the show before, but I'll throw it out again. Um you said, you know, it's a great icebreaker because after if someone there speaking, then you have something to talk about afterwards, which I know can be like one of the hardest parts about going to an event, especially if you're going by yourself. You're like, oh, this is just awkward. Do I walk up to somebody or what? But a great line is just, um, hey, what are you most excited to hear this person talk about? Or afterwards, you can say, you know, what was the most interesting thing that they said? That can be like just a great hey, I'm just curious. I'd love to know what was the most interesting thing that you thought that they said. Um, it's a great sort of way to start spark the conversation. And I've used that trick many, many times, and it works like a charm. It's super simple. So don't be afraid to walk up to those people and, and start those conversations because that's why you're there in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay, so a couple things I want to um, dig a little bit deeper into. One is earlier when you talked about you know, you made these mailer packages and you mailed them to these companies in New York, these physical packages via snail mail um, of your portfolio. And you, you made the comment that you don't see that working anymore today. And, and I get it. It's obviously a very digital world. But what do you see or do you have any tips for people who maybe are trying to get noticed um, that is a little bit outside of the box or, you know, I'm applying to these all these online applications that I'm not hearing back. Maybe that's for an internship. Maybe it's for its actual job. Um, any advice to kind of take it a step further and get yourself noticed or, or what should you do at that point? Analyze what's going on. Uh, maybe you're not sending out the right stuff. Well, okay, I have two tips. So first of all, I think first impressions have gone digital. And what I mean by that is if somebody is, you know, looking to fill a position or even if they want to meet you, before they even reach out to you, they're going to be Googling you or searching your LinkedIn profile. I mean, they're going to check you out before they ever make first contact. So it's really important to um, have a established um, place where people can see your work and um, kind of give a general overview idea of what you're doing. So what I did so many years ago, sending out these little mini portfolios, anyone can essentially do online now. You can have a personal portfolio website that where you just upload your portfolio that you should have anyway. So it shouldn't be any additional real work. Um, And if you don't want to take it quite to that level, um, LinkedIn now does allow you to upload images of um, a few images for from either your portfolio or for examples of anything that you've gotten publicity on. Um, So you can have a place there now to show your work. And um, also, I do believe stylecareers.com um, website, which is where you can, it's like a job posting site. But I do believe now that once you are a member, you can actually upload not just your resume, but examples of your portfolio. So these are all ways that you can essentially digitize what I did so many years ago. Yeah. Um, Because I do think people are going to be checking that out first. And, you know, if they like what they see, then they're going to take it that to that next level. Um, Let's see. And as far as um, anything else, I think if you're applying to jobs and you're not um, hearing back, um, yeah, everyone kind of knows that, like, I shouldn't say that they know this, but like, it just seems like, you know, you apply to jobs and it's just like this black hole, like you mm-hmm. never hear anything. <laughs> and, um, the, that's for many different reasons, but it's, unfortunately it's kind of like you have to turn your resume or your, um, or yeah, your resume into kind of what I do on pick last when I create a, a blog post, you have to make it SEO friendly. So you essentially have to do the same thing for your resume before you are applying for jobs. So you can't just apply, like take the same 
resume and apply it to like 20 different jobs. It's not going to work. You have to take the time to read the job listing that they've posted somewhere, find the keywords that they're looking for, and then make sure those keywords are in your resume before you apply. Mm -hmm. You know, that's Mm -hmm. when it goes through. It's not even a human being that's like printing them all out. It's like a computer system that's looking for certain keywords. And then if your resume has those keywords, it's going to rise to the top and then hopefully you'll get a call back. So wait, really? Like companies of the caliber of, um, this is the first I've heard of this. Um, so like, I don't know if I can call out your employer, PVH, but it's a very big company. You said, you know, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of employees you guys run. Um, the first pass of the resume review goes through a computer system, and if it doesn't have the keywords that matches the job, it gets knocked off or knocked out. Well, I, can't, I can't say specifically for PVH because I don't work in like HR or whatever, but I heard from many of the recruiters that I've worked with as well as some people that I know that were from HR, um, not from my company specifically, but they've all said that like basically – if you apply, if the company has like an online application process, mm-hmm. it's going in there and then the computer system is scrubbing it for those keywords. So wow. because they are going to get like sometimes hundreds of thousands yeah. of applications and they just don't have the time for the people to, you know, manually go through all this stuff. So, wow. No, I mean, it's not surprising and it makes total sense when you say it. I've just never, um, I, no one's ever mentioned that to me before. So that is, um, I mean, I, I've heard the tip to customize your resume, but I didn't quite realize the extent of, um, I suppose, detriment it could do to you if you don't do it. Because you, like you said, you can automatically, like no one's ever even going to see you if you mm-hmm. don't take the extra time Um so, wow, wow, wow. That's really interesting. Very cool. Um, so, yeah, so spending the time to go through the job posting and then customizing your resume to that. You're better off spending more time on doing a really awesome job on 10 to 20 applications than trying to send out a mass flood of 100 generic applications. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, really, really great tip. Uh, okay. And then one other sort of sector of the market that um, I hear from a lot is, th- and, and I'll say woman, it, um, most of the time it tends to be a woman, although there are men as well, but who have been in their industry, been in the industry in their career for 15, 20, 25 years, a very substantial amount of time. And then they get let go for whatever long list of reasons, maybe because the company downsized, you know, um, there's all sorts of various reasons that, that people get let go and they have a really hard time breaking back in. Um, Mm -hmm. so I don't know if you've ever worked with anyone in that situation or if you, uh, have any tips for that person as opposed to the person starting out at the very beginning of their career, um, you know, what does that woman do who has all this experience and then can't get back in? Well, I can't say that I've, I've had that experience or that I know anyone that has had that experience. I mean, I've certainly known people that have gotten let go for various reasons. Um, but I think it really, as far as getting back in, it comes back down to networking and, um, if you hopefully you will have stayed connected with all the people that you have worked with all these years, I think a huge mistake that a lot of people make, and to be perfectly honest, I did it too, mm-hmm. is you get it's really easy to get comfortable in your job. Mm-hmm. It is really easy to, you know, especially if you know that you're doing a good job and like, you know, that you're getting along with your coworkers, it's just really easy to kind of lay back and kind of, you know, you know your job front and back. And so you're just kind of doing it day to day and you're not really continually pushing that envelope. You're not continually um, pushing to work on other projects or to, you know, work on other things. Um, And for various reasons, I mean, I, like I said, I did it myself, unfortunately. Um, And it was like at a time in my career where um, I had already reached designer level and I was, you know, good at my job and I was, um, 
you know, doing it really well. But in my personal life, I was more concentrating on um, buying a house and like um, getting these other things lined up with, you know, I was getting married and all these other things. So it was just like life just happens. And so it's like, then you sort of wake up one day and you're like, oh, wait a second. Is this, you know, should I be further along in my career? And, you know, should I be have been doing this? And so, you know, for me, fortunately, I wasn't let go, but it just like kind of jolted me to be like, okay, you know what, I need to be doing more than what I'm doing right now. I need to be, you know, working on extended projects, and I need to be doing other things. So, you know, at that point, which was probably now, I don't know, seven or eight years ago, it's like I went to my boss, and I was just like, you know, I want to be working on other things. I see that, you know, this other, you know, other brand that's in our company, like some of the designers are working on the showroom, and they're like, you know, setting up the showrooms, and they're doing all these other things. And, you know, um, long story short, you know, by putting myself out there once again, and kind of basically asking for additional not necessarily responsibilities, but other things to work on. It's like, you can't expect other people, even your boss to have your career in mind. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like their job is to get the job done and to do it, you know, in an efficient way. Um, and whether or not you're happy is, you know, yes, they care, but not like, they're not going to be sitting there telling you, okay, you need to be doing this, this, and this to get ahead, you know, that's really up to you. And so, but when you tell people like, Hey, I'm looking to learn how to do this, or I want to, you know, learn a little bit more about how say the merchandising portion of this goes or is put together, like they will at least have you top of mind. And so if an opportunity does come about, then you'll be remembered for that. Um, an example I can give is, was just like, I think it was like a year and a half ago. I had previously done a, we do what we call kickoff meetings, um, at the beginning of each season, which was like basically our big presentation to sales of like our concepts for each year. And so one year I just kind of like went over the top and I made like a video, um, it was basically PowerPoint and then you do PowerPoint show to like turn it into a video. But anyway, um, so I had done that and you know, uh, it was received well, but then like a little while later, an opportunity came up where we got to pitch Ryan Seacrest sportswear as an exclusive brand to Macy's. And So they remembered the video I did. And so I was part of the little mini launch group that had about three weeks that we had to design a collection, um, pitch it to Macy's, work with the sales and merchandisers to get the pricing set up. We styled out an entire showroom complete with garments and um, graphics to show the brand identity so that when Macy's walked in the door, they were walking into a Ryan Seacrest sportswear showroom. Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm. we also photographed all the garments and we essentially did the same thing I did before the little made like a little video and we were playing it on the big screen. So when they walked in, they, they saw the video of the Ryan Seacrest sportswear. And so, you know, that's just like a little example of like, if you do, if you go out of your way to, do something in a wow way, then it's going to be remembered, um, in one way or the other. And it's just a, it's just really comes down to the other people remembering you and having you top of mind when other opportunities come up. And that's, that's really it. It's, um, and congratulations on that. That was a that was a really cool opportunity you created for yourself. And, you know, you took the initiative to do that initial video and then that turned into this other really cool uh, project that you got to work on and great, you know, line item on your resume and just experience and whatever, you know, however you want to package it up. It was just a great thing. Um, it's It sometimes doesn't take... And I don't want to discount, you know, what you've done in your career or what anyone has been able to do in their career or the work that goes into sort of 
making it in this industry and and climbing up the the ladder on whatever level that may be for you. But sometimes it's um, an extra 2%, an extra 5%, an extra 10% can like create this whole other thing that you never would have been able to imagine initially. And a lot of people don't do that extra 2%. And so if, or, or whatever the percent is, but they don't, you know, push the envelope a little bit, like you said uh, a few minutes ago. And so if you're the one that just pushes it a little bit further, that extra like cherry on top of the Sunday can really be like a huge domino in the long run. Um, and so just being mindful of that and, you know, going into the meeting, you're like, what could I do to make this extra special? And you're like, I'm going to make a video. Uh, mm-hmm. You didn't have to. That was above and beyond. And maybe you stayed late one night to do it. But it snowballs into something much bigger. Um, it's a really, really important takeaway that it doesn't always have to be something big. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. And I just want to point out that kind of going back to um, people that are starting out in their careers and I don't want people to get the impression that your career path always has to be in an upward direction. Mm-hmm. Um, I talk to so many people and, you know, especially young people that have all their hopes and dreams. And, you know, I always ask them, like, well, where do you see yourself like in 10 years from now? Like, do you see yourself, you know, as the creative director of a brand? And um, some of them do and some of them don't, but a lot of them, you know, I hear a lot of people that want to own their own boutique or they want to own, you know, their own collection or they want to, you know, I don't know, do something else that's, you know, more entrepreneurial. And so for those people, I say, you know what, when you are applying to jobs or when you are looking for opportunities, always ask yourself, like, what are you going to be learning from this? Mm-hmm. Um, and is it, something that's going to take you where you want to go. So like, for example, if someone wants to own a boutique, you know, and maybe they want to sell their own clothes, that's great. But there's a lot more to owning a boutique than being a designer. Like you need to know sales, you need to know how to do shipping, you need to know how to run in um, and a cash machine, you know, need to know how to train people. So it might be more beneficial to you to spend a few years in these different departments, even if it's a lateral move financially, because you're going to learn all those tools that you need or those skills that you need to do what you ultimately want to do. So, you know, I don't think the your career always has to go in an escalator yeah. <laughs> you know what? I'm I'm really really happy that you brought that up and it re- makes me um think of that graphic. I don't I'm not sure if it's a graphic for I, I you could apply it to anything, but it's like this um the line of I think it's for it, there's one that's specific for entrepreneurs, but I you could relate it to career or success or life in general. And it's like the line does not go in like a straight upward direction. It like goes up and it down and it ties in knots and it's like all over the place. <laughs> I don't know. Have you seen that one? I've seen something very similar. Something yeah. very similar. Yeah. And so that's a really good reminder that we shouldn't put all this pressure on ourselves either to the next step has to be bigger, better, more money, more responsibility, a better job title than the last one. It's more, you know what, step back and look at, no, what am I going to learn from this and what can I then turn that into maybe in two, three, four, five years? And is that the right opportunity for me? And that might be lateral, but it also could be down a little bit. And I, I think you could look at that as not a bad thing, but maybe it's a less responsible or a role with less responsibility, but it's in a sector of the company that you just know nothing about, but you're really interested in. And, you know, those are all individual situations that you kind of have to evaluate for yourself and if that's right for you. But um, that's a great reminder. And I, I, I think it can sometimes get stuck in your head that if you're not moving up, then you're not making the right progress. But sometimes it's lateral. Sometimes it's a step back, two steps yeah. forward, one step back, you know. Um, so thank you for that reminder. I like that a lot. Um, what, okay, I'm going to, um, ask you a a sort of cliche question, but what do you see, uh, like the biggest mistake 
people making in this industry? As a whole? I mean, let's say a designer, like working in in their Mm -hmm. career, um, you know, what do you see as far as like wanting to have career trajectory um, Mm -hmm. in the long run? You know, if that's a zigzag line, that's fine. Um, But the biggest mistake that people are making that's maybe preventing them from in one, three, five, ten years reaching the goals that they want to reach? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is something that I've learned um, once I got to the level of being a manager, and that is simply that doing just your job is not is not um, good enough to get a promotion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've had several people that have worked under me over the years that they're good at their jobs, like they're doing what's being asked of them, but they're not making the extra effort to do more. And basically you have to, I think the biggest mistake people make is just thinking that just doing their job well is good enough to, uh, where they deserve, you know, the, the next step or whatever. And so I think, you know, you always have to think of it from the employer's perspective of, you know, if you're just doing your job, then that doesn't mean that they, you know, owe you anything. Mm -hmm. Like you're just doing what they've paid you to do already. So I think that's probably the biggest mistake that I've personally seen. Yeah. is just doing what's expected of you and not really taking any initiative to do anything beyond that. Exactly. Yeah. I I think that's a great one. Um, So again, it kind of goes back to the, if you can just do like 2% more. And I know that, I I mean, I can feel the overwhelm sometimes. Like you throw that at people and they're like, oh, I'm already so busy. Deadlines are tight. I'm always running, you know, running behind. Everybody's so hectic running around with their hair frazzled in this industry. And now you're asking me to do 2% more. Um, That can sound really overwhelming. Um, but it doesn't have to be on everything you do. It doesn't have to be all the time, you know, take those moments, those big meetings. What can you do to make your presentation 2% more of a wow factor? So, um, you know, maybe you pick the areas where you think need the 2% more and is really going to benefit the team and the company and, and, you know, the extra bonus to that is that it gets noticed and, and maybe you are the one that's thought about when there's time for a promotion or a new role above you opens up and they want to promote internally. Um, so I really feel for a lot of the young people that are especially starting out in their careers because when you are an assistant or you know just starting out, it's like you are the person that is running around like a chicken with your head cut off trying to do all these different things. They usually give you all kinds of little tasks to do. And it's, it is very overwhelming. And I can remember many a nights where I practically slept at my office, um, or went home at like 3am or something. Um, but you know, I was also so in love with what I was doing that I was happy to do it. Um, but there comes a point where, you know, you can't do that on a daily basis obviously. Um, but I will tell you that as you go through your career, you do learn like little tricks that are going to make your job easier. And I've personally have a lot of hacks that I use, um, for my, my personal, um, job that makes it a lot easier for me. Um, I'll just give you a couple of them. Um, so I love Pinterest. I don't know if you're a Pinterest girl. Yes. (laughs) So sometimes when I come home and I'm like watching TV at night, I just have my iPad with me and I just start pinning boards and I will create boards for like seasons that I'm not even working on. Or if I just see something that kind of gives me a good idea, but it's like not in the current season that I'm working on, I just like file it away. I make its own little board and like kind of throughout the year, I just sort of add to these different boards and sometimes they turn into something and sometimes they don't. But like, let's say, you know, now it's winter and I'm 
personally working on spring 19 right now. But if I start seeing all these great winter coats or things that I'm, you know, that are inspiring me now, I'll just pin them and I kind of, you know, slowly start to make little groups out of them. And then, you know, and this is just in my free time, like while I'm watching TV, it doesn't take any extra, you know, brain power. And then when it does come time in, you know, April, when I have to start working on fall, I go to my Pinterest boards and I'm like, okay, is there anything here? Like, you know, and I print out all those tear sheets, I put them on my boards, and those become my concept boards or my mood boards for the new year. So it kind of gives me like a head start, I guess. And yeah, and you've, and you built it into stuff that you're already doing. So like, I'm going to make a blanket statement here and uh, us and everybody listening, we're interested in fashion. So we spend time, what, well, we look at fashion online, whether Mm -hmm. it's for work or whether we're just browsing for fun and we're shopping and Mm -hmm. we shop in real life. Mm -hmm. And so building that habit into the stuff that you're already doing. And so whether it be, oh, I'm happen to be shopping for myself, but I'm looking at all these great coats and some of these could be interesting inspiration for our next season. You know, make a note of that. It doesn't take any extra work. Or maybe it's even when you're out shopping in the market, you know, take pictures. I know my phone, you'll go through my camera roll. It's like clothes, 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 details, clothes, <laughs> pictures yeah. of my dog, <laughs> clothes, yep. more clothes. Um, and so building that into stuff that you're already doing anyways, it's not like I'm going to sit down now for another two hours tonight and I'm going to do work. It's mm-hmm. just making those habits of looking, keeping, training your eye to like look for stuff in addition to what you're already doing for your own personal shopping or whatever it is. So that's, that's a great tip. I love that one. Super simple to implement. Um, awesome. Maylee, this has been super, super fun. I would love to end with the question I ask everybody at the end of the interview. Um, and I know you've listened to a couple episodes, so I don't know if you had time to think of an answer or not. Um, but that is, what is one thing that people never ask you about working in fashion, but you wish that they did? Well, I think a lot of people assume that my life is like one of those reality shows and it's like super glamorous and all this. And um, I think if they could ask me anything, I would want them to ask me what it's really like working in the fashion industry. Um, And I would tell them that, you know, it's very exciting and that it's, you know, um, kind of a, I don't want to say a nine to five job, but like definitely, you know, you go in and you're creative for a short period of time and then you have to do the nuts and bolts and get the product completed and done and out the door. And, you know, there's probably not the most exciting answer, but <laughs> no, 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 no. But that it's good. Um, I mean, I think you know, even you telling that story about the Macy's project that you worked on for Ryan Seacrest, it sounds really glamorous. Like you got to create all these designs and then put together this whole, like, do this whole mock-up uh, showroom. Um, and parts of that are creative, and parts of that are really fun, and parts of that are really glamorous. But there's a lot of legwork. Uh, to create the nuts and bolts. Um, so it's always a good reminder uh, to to people who want to get into the industry. And I've heard people say that, you know, I went to school and I had this, even throughout four years of fashion school, like I had this vision painted in my head of what this fantasy life was going to be. And then it was like a slap in the face. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And so it's always a good reminder to hear that. And, you know, at the end of the day, it is, it's a job. And, uh, we all have to work and, um, there's parts of it that are fun and parts of it that are work. And that's, that's life. <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. right. Awesome. Maylee. Well, where can everybody find you online? So, um, I am at pitglass.com. Okay. And I am at every social media pitglass. So Twitter, Instagram, um, Facebook, um, and, if I can just give a quick little plug, um, in November, I'm going to be launching a fashion design portfolio blog series. So for any of you that need to either revamp your portfolio or don't have one yet, 
um, that's a great place to start. It's going to be a step-by-step guide. That's fantastic. And the best place to find out about that would be? Um, Just go to pickglass.com. Okay. And And that's P-I-C-K-G-L-A-S-S. Yes. Awesome. Fantastic. I will link to all of that in the show notes. Maylee, thank you so much. This was really fun chatting with you and really appreciate all the great advice and mentoring you're offering to designers in our industry. Um, Thank you so much for being on the show with me. Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for listening to the Successful Fashion Designer Podcast. If you'd like to learn any more about the resources mentioned in today's episode, visit the show notes at sfdnetwork.com slash 29. And since you made it this far, you must have liked the episode. I'll remind you again, the best way you can help is by sharing the podcast with other listeners and helping spread the word. The more people we can get engaged in the show, the better for everybody. You guys always tell me how much you love the valuable content, how we're talking about things that no one else talks about in the industry. So do your friends, do your coworkers, do your uh, classmates a favor and shoot them a quick email saying, hey, here's this awesome podcast. I thought you'd enjoy. Give it a listen. I'd really, really appreciate you doing that. Thanks again so much for your support and I'll talk to you next week.